Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. Uh, joined this week, we don't have Calvin this week. Uh, he's, he's, he's got the week off. We're joined this week by um, Ian Decker. Ian has been on the podcast before. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm good, Gino. Thanks for having me on. Good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. It's great having you. We're going to talk a little bit about the women's team today, get away from the men's team as we all know we, know we all need it at this point. But we do have to discuss the Crystal Palace match first. We'll get into that right now. Um, Crystal Palace uh, beat Everton 3-1 on Sunday. Um, Connor Gallagher with two goals, the, the third and the dagger in the 90, well, the third minute of stoppage time. James Tompkins, the, the goal in the 62nd minute to put Palace up, or excuse me, to put Palace up 2-0. Um, Solomon Rondon finally getting on the score sheet, which is uh, a little unusual. Don't, don't expect to see that all the time. But um, he gets on the score sheet on the tap-in, but Everton really did not look good this whole match. Um, they did go, and we'll start it with the lineup. They did go with the three in the midfield. What were your thoughts on the lineup when, uh, when it came out? You know, we've kind of said this all season where it seems like Rafa's just kind of, he's struggling to kind of have a consistent lineup. I mean, injuries are definitely a part of that. But, you know, you come out with, with Delph, Gomez, Decore. I mean, I think Decore gives you a lot. Near the end of the game there, I mean, he got the, I mean, when he picked up the yellow, it's kind of a, you know, a silly tackle. Um, you know, IU was just kind of dancing around him. and But, I mean, I love Decore in there. Look, I know a lot of people have, you know, their issues with Delph, but I mean, he's played at some big clubs. He has some experience. He's, he's not going to make, you know, careless mistakes. Um, You know, he's not a youngster. And, you know, Andre Gomez, I don't know. You never know what you're going to get. I I thought that at times he looked good at other times he kind of looked out of his depth. um, I mean, and against Crystal Palace. So, you know, looking at the, the lineup initially, it was kind of, I mean, it was underwhelming, but it was kind of another example of, well, you know, here we go again, looking down the bench, you know, what, what resources does Rafa really have at his disposal? Um, for me is, is more the question than, than the midfield choices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it was, when I saw the lineup, I was pleasantly surprised. I, you know, I think we talked about it. It was, it's always a question. The big question has been whether he would actually switch to the three at the back. And when we talked on the podcast last week, we did say, you know, it would be great to see Gomez up there with Delph playing a more defensive role, allowing Gomez and Decore to be a little bit more free. And that's what we got. We got that. But again, it, you know, it's, it's easy to put that lineup on the team sheet. It's a matter of executing the tactics and, and putting the tactics out there for the team to be successful. And I think that is where, um, I guess, where, where Everton faltered. Because I did see people saying on, on Twitter, oh, the three-man midfield lasted about 25 minutes. Gomez was playing like a second striker in defense at some points. So um, that is what you get with Gomez, unfortunately, is his defensive, uh, I guess, work rate isn't as high as an Allen or, or a Delph or a Decore. So you don't get the benefit of that. But, um, but nonetheless, I mean, Everton, this, despite playing extremely poorly, had, for the most part, weathered the ship for, you know, 40-some-odd minutes, and it looked like they were going to get to halftime, but of course, again, Everton gave up a goal right before halftime. Um, what were your thoughts on the goal? Uh, was there anything really – I mean, obviously, it was a Damari Gray mistake that led to Connor Gallagher getting free. The ball gets played in the middle. But even after the ball gets played in the middle, was there anything – or, excuse me, before – even after Damari Gray makes the, the, the bad back, back pass, was there anything that could have been done in the center of the pitch that could have prevented, you know – someone getting on the end of, of Gallagher's ball? Yeah, I mean, look, for me, it's, it, it just comes down to mental lapses. You know, it's, I, I feel like I, you know, I feel like a broken record sometimes when I, when I come on here. Um, but I just think that, you know, there are, there are times when, look, Crystal Palace, to their credit, you know, they deserve the win. They deserve three points. But, you know, it's not like this team is littered with world-class players. You know, I mean, you have Will Hughes in the middle, you know, Cheku Kuyate, you know, I mean, James Tompkins, you know, it, giving up a goal to a 32-year-old center back, um, you know, you're probably not going to win if, if that happens. You know, yes, you have Zaha. Yes, you have Ayu. But, you know, it's not, you know, a Chelsea, a city. And so to kind of be – you know, boxed around, you know, they, they held 62% possession. I, I think on the goals, it's just kind of, 
you know, you're, you know, we're giving away possession, we're giving away goals and, you know, it just snowballs for Everton and, you know, one bad mood, you know, one bad move kind of sours the whole mood of the team and, and the, the atmosphere. And, and then they just kind of go downhill and it's really hard for this team mentally to come back from that. Um, so I don't know, for me, that's kind of what the goals came down to is, I mean, obviously a clear lack of execution um, just with poor passing, you know, a carelessness on the ball, but then, you know, just kind of an inability to one react. Okay. You make a mistake, you know, Palace again is a good team, but you know, you can, those can be preventable. Um, you know, you don't always have to be punished with conceding a goal, but you know, you kind of make the mistake and then you say, okay, we're on the defensive, we're on the back foot. And, you know, they, they put a ball in, they, you know, and, and they wind up scoring. Um, and it's just, I mean, it further deflates his team. And I mean, looking at the, at the lineup, you know, I, I don't know who, you know, I, I mean, Coleman, of course, you know, with the captaincy, Keane is, you know, was a big presence, but, you know, Pickford as well. But I just, you know, when this team gets down, I don't, I don't really know who is, you know, who's the player saying, okay, you know, we're moving on, you know, take that goal. It happened, you know, and let's, let's push forward. I, I'm not quite sure, men, you know, you know, mentally who that is. Um, so for me, it was just kind of mental fragility um, with the goals. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the story of Everton for years and years and years, unfortunately. I think it's just they have – I mean, it, for some reason – and it did seem like things had changed a little bit. We were coming from behind a bit in the beginning of the season. We were – things were looking a little bit better. And, um, and you know, that's happened now, I think, feel like two seasons in a row. I feel like last season we were, we were not terrible coming from behind, but this season specifically. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden it's, you know – things go wrong and things go downhill and you lose a couple of players and all of a sudden everything's in shambles. So, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's just, it, it's very hard to watch <laughs> all the time. Um, but I, I do have to ask cause I mean, this defense was pretty solid against Arsenal for the most part, even with the injury to Yerimina, Holgate comes in and this is the same exact defense that went, you know, 60, 70, even 80. I'm not even sure when, when Mina came off, but went that distance. What was the difference between this match and um, this match and the, and the Arsenal match defensively? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, there is something about playing, you know, kind of up to an opponent's standards. I mean, obviously you look at the team that Arsenal put out and it's, you know, there's some pretty big names. And so I think that, defensively the game plan going in I I mean I think the team knows I mean aside from one goal you know you give up some shots but aside from that you know Arsenal are going to get their chances but you have to pretty much be perfect you know to beat a team of, of Arsenal's quality and so I think mentally the team was stronger and said okay like we know what we have to do we have to lock the opposition forwards down and then I think against Palace I, I, I mean obviously I don't know what's going on in their heads but you know, I, I think you look at a team like Palace and I don't know, to a certain extent, do I think that Everton might've looked at it and said, Oh, you know, the, you know, the, it, it's Crystal Palace, you know, they're, they're in 11th, you know, kind of bottom half of the table. This is a game that, you know, on paper is winnable because you're right. I mean, other than Mina coming in um, or Holgate coming in for Mina, it's, it's an identical lineup and, you know, you still have the back four and, you know, the defense was able to keep, you know, to play pretty well against Arsenal with, even with Holgate in. So for me, it's just kind of, I don't want to say a lack of respect for the opponent. Cause I don't think that any team in the Prem should, um, you know, not respect an opponent. Cause I mean, we've seen it time and again that any team can win, but I don't know. I think just, you know, you have the name recognition and, and the player recognition of we're going up against the Gunners, you know, and then you have, you know, you draw Crystal Palace, um, you know, an away game. Sure. But, and I don't know. I think that just I'm struggling to kind of think of, of what, what can be the cause of this, but I don't know. I, I think just, I think sometimes we play up to our opponent. And I think this was a case of maybe just kind of getting too big of a head and, and they put, you know, they punished us for, they put three past us. Yeah. And I mean, playing at home versus playing on the road, obviously different, but even the toxicity of playing at home against Arsenal with everything that was going on, you would have thought, you know, honestly, might almost bring an atmosphere of, 
you know, an away game in terms of the way the Everton fans have, you know, had been kind of going at each other and, and going at the team and stuff like that. But they showed up and maybe it was that pressure that, that allowed them to show up for that game. And they got the, the monkey off their back. So they felt more relaxed in this game. Who knows? But, um, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's just, it, it's just crazy that this had, it's like week to week or not even week to week. It was a matter of days between the two matches, I think. Um, and, and things changed so dramatic, so dramatically. And it's, um, it, the inconsistency is something that we've been dealing with for years and years and years at Everton. Um, and we just haven't been able to find that consistency. And now on the back foot um, again, in terms of just the standings and where we are, we had made some, made some good progress. A win against palace would have brought us further up the table. And now we're, you know, sitting in, I actually don't even know what place we're sitting 14th. in. We're in 14th, 14th. place. Um, and we are on 18 points and just, five points or excuse me, seven points above the drop right now. So, um, you know, that's still a decent amount of space with the teams that are behind us, but um, things are going to have to change. And I do have to say, um, I want to correct myself. Gallagher was the one who scored the goal. It was Jordan. I who, who intercepted the back pass and crossed it in. And that actually is a good segue into uh, what I want to talk about next. You know, we talked about on the podcast how important it was to take care of Connor Gallagher and, 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 and defend him and make sure he was contained. And clearly that was not the case because he ran rampant in this game and um, really was the mastermind of almost the entire, you know, the, the entire game and the entire match. With three midfielders, you would have assumed that that would have been a little bit more contained. That's been, you know, the criticism and whatnot. And even with the Fabian, Fabian Delt type player, you would assume that was contained. How was he able to get so free? What were Everton doing wrong in that aspect? Was, would it, were they missing Allen in that aspect? Yeah, I think for me, absolutely. You know, it's achieving the, the, the perfect balance in Everton's midfield is, is really hard, especially with the three that they rolled out. Because, you know, you kind of want to have a complementary triangle. You want to have, I mean, Decore stretches the the field I mean he can he can cover at defense he can push the ball forward he's a defensive stopper you know but then you want someone who's confident in possession you know as opposed to someone who's tracking and then you also want someone who can kind of pick their passes or maybe more of a defensive-minded player to shadow an, an opposition's top midfielder and and for me that's really where they miss Alon um is you know I mean Gallagher is a 21 year old kid and he you know he looked like a 10-year bet out there just kind of, you know, picking passes, you know, going box to box, just dominating the midfield. And I think had we had an Alon out there, you know, a player like him to just kind of shadow him, to anticipate the runs, to make, you know, his life difficult when he did get the ball and, and pressure him and make sure he didn't have, you know, time to pick his passes and look up field and survey and say, okay, you know, where am I going to pick this pass? Um, I think that really hurts because, you know, you have Decore kind of as, you know, I mean, he's kind of a jack of all trades. He's going around, you know, Gomez again, defensively is, you know, he leaves a lot on the table, um, you know, and then Delph, I don't think that Delph also is that type of player to shadow and, and mirror an opposition's, you know, attacking midfielder. So I think for me, it, it was just kind of a combination of Gallagher's talent. I mean, he's, he's really fun to watch and just kind of, maybe Everton not having exactly the right personnel in the midfield to counteract his attacking prowess. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think for me, the Allen situation is, is it's not even that Delph at his prime couldn't do that. I just think where his legs are at, at this point, I, I think that would, that would be the one issue, right? Delph seemed like the right guy in terms of being a defensive minded center midfielder to bring in there. But you kind of needed to shadow Gallagher over all over the entire pitch. You kind of need to have a man on him and man mark him through the um, throughout the entire game. And and you know he was running rampant, and you could see why you needed to man mark him because he was basically able to do whatever he wanted and get into whatever spaces he wanted. So um, you know it, it's um, you know again it, we we do talk about Benitez's. Uh, tactics and whatnot, but that is one situation where he just didn't have, he doesn't have the players at his availability. And, and, you know, when we get to tomorrow and talk about, well, probably today when you're listening to this podcast, um, 
I mean, with all the injuries we have, I'm not sure how this team is going to shape out. And, you know, I mean, tactics can get you a certain, certain way, but in certain instances like this one, I'm not sure the implementation of those tactics would have made a difference with the players that you have at your disposal. So, um, you know, it is, it is hard with all the injuries we have. And, uh, but I do think that we could have put in a significantly better performance um, with, uh, with, with what we had on, on the pitch. And um, I mean, I would bring up the Richarlison incident, but we do know why he was brought off now. And, um, you know, as much as many of us may, may not want to give Benitez credit for bringing him off in that situation, and I know the fans weren't happy then, uh, we do know now that Richarlison is dealing with a, a significant calf injury that's going to keep him out for a number of weeks. So um, can't really talk about that. But, I mean, Everton do get back in the game. Um, after Richarlison is subbed off, Rondon comes in, um, and I guess makes a sort of a difference. <laughs> he, he gets the ball played into him and then um, tries to turn and shoot. Ball goes, or I think he actually might even even passed it. Ball goes across to... Decore, I think it was, he hits it and it gets deflected into the path of Rondon, who's running at the net for one time ever. Um, and he manages to slide in and, and, and put the ball in the net. And then it seemed like things changed a little bit. It seemed like Everton were on the front foot. Um, was that a, you know, a product of Palace being, you know, sitting back more because they had a two-goal lead and were a little bit more calm and, and a little bit more, you know, kind of reserved in the attack? Or was it a matter of Everton actually changing something tactically or the players actually performing a little bit better? Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say that the insertion of Solomon Rondon was, you know, a, a brilliant, you know, tactical decision on the part of Benitez. But, you know, I mean, look, he gets his first league goal. And, I mean, he's a guy, you know what you're going to get from him. I mean, he, he's, he's a tough, hard-nosed guy. He'll go to the net. He'll, he'll be, you know, kind of in, in the area. And, you know, it paid off in this instance. The ball was kind of bouncing around. He, he got on the end of it. You know, he got in front of, of some lazy defending and managed to poke it home. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, Benitez kind of, you know, licking his chops there, like, you know, oh, you know, that was me. You know, I put this guy in and look at the, you know, kind of the change it made, the energy that he brought to the pitch. Um, but, you know, so I think that does play a part in kind of Everton being revived a little bit. But, you know, throughout the game, I mean, Powell still had, you know, they held 62% possession. I mean, they, they had a lot of the ball and, you know, two goal cushion, you know, in the, in the 70th, you know, in the, you know, after, you know, an hour, over an hour played, you know, I think it's easy for teams that aren't used to just playing with a lead or kind of having a ton of possession to know what to do with, with all that time. And I think that this was the case, just kind of the ball squirted through and Rondon was able to get on the end of it. Um, so, I mean, credit, credit, where credit is due to him. I mean, especially now with, with an injury to Richie, you know, we, the goals need to come from somewhere. Um, it would be great if Rondon could, you know, could, could help out in, in that department. But, you know, just from what he's shown so far this season, you know, he's 32 not a whole lot left in the tank, but I mean, he has a track record of, of working with Benitez of having some success under Benitez. So hopefully this is the spark he needs moving forward. Yeah. I was just about to say, maybe this is, maybe this is a little spark for him and he'll, he'll get on the, uh, at least for the next couple of weeks until Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes back. Cause it does seem like he's close. Um, I, it sounds like uh, they, he probably could play um, or make the bench this week, but um, whether it be tomorrow or Sunday, but they want to give him a little extra more, a little extra time to make sure he's ready, which I don't have a problem with really, because if he gets hurt again, we are screwed. Um, not that him coming back is going to change everything, but I think he is a significant help. Um, you did mention that's the the possession, and we did only have thirty eight percent of the possession. That's something we've come to know with Benitez and against Palace. A lot of people were upset about that, but we did also have twelve shots. Six on target. Are the stats a little bit misleading in that aspect? Um, you know, when you look at the stats, if you weren't to watch this game, uh, and we're to, you say we're talking to somebody right now who who hasn't watched the game or didn't get a chance to watch the game, what would you say about those stats if someone was looking at those stats? Is that a little bit misleading? Was it a flurry of of shots that at the end you know came together? That's why they got up to that point, or um, you know, does that do? Are, are we kind of 
not giving it the full story on terms of the possession and just the way Benitez just typically plays. And we're not used to that recently. Sure. Yeah. I think honestly, all the above. I mean, I mean, I think that they are misleading, you know, I mean, 17 shots to 12, but you know, tied with six shots on target. Um, I mean, Guaita has, has a pretty solid game with, with five out of six saves. Um, you know, just looking possession is always a hard way to measure how well a team played because you're right. Some teams sit back, some managers don't prioritize possession. And a lot of times you get out possession, but you don't really advance the ball past, you know, half field. And you're just kind of knocking it between the center backs. You play it out wide, you play it in the middle and it goes back, hit it back to the goalie, you know, and you're not, the progressive movement isn't there. Which is what Everton did when they tried to play possession football themselves. (laughs) Right. And that was going to be my next point last season. I don't remember the exact record, but Everton had a losing record when they held more possession, right? And so they were so easy to just, I mean, teams were able to just sit in a low block, defend the heck out of, you know, against us, and then break on the counter. And, you know, you you saw games against, you know, Newcastle. You saw, you know, games where we just, I mean, you know, just Sheffield even, where, you know, they were hitting us on the counter. And, you know, it's we be, we were really easy to play against. So I, I think it's absolutely right what you're saying is that, you know, the stats don't, they don't tell the whole story. And I think possession can definitely be, be misleading. Um, you know, I mean, yellow cards, you know, we got a couple, couple testy moments, corners, eight corners, the two, that's not, that's not great. Um, but I think that's also just a result of, you know, not having a lot of possession, not having a lot of time in palaces at, you know, final third. So I, I think looking at the stats without the score, I think you would, you know, you'd say, okay, team a crystal palace won the game, but, I don't think it's it does quite justice to Everton. Um, they didn't look; they didn't play well, that's for sure. But I, I think the stats paint a picture of them playing worse than they actually did. Yeah, I, I mean, the thirty-eight percent. I I don't. I mean, a lot of people have said, "Oh, we're playing Palace, this, that, and the other thing." And, and listen, this Palace side isn't terrible. Um, Patrick Vera has them, you know, kind of in, in a good spot. I mean, they've you know, got 20 points now from 17 matches, which I'd say for them compared to where many thought they would be at the beginning of the season is actually not that bad. Um, but, um, and, and I think that with the possession base, I don't mind playing on the counterattack. Like I don't mind doing that if you're going to be solid defensively. And I think that's where a lot of people have the issue is that if we're going to play on the counterattack and we're going to give up possession a lot of the time and, you know, go 60-40 most of the time, we need to be better defensively and then that will lead to better attack. And that's kind of where, you know, when we do get in those situations where we're trying to defend, we can't clear our lines as well. And then all of a sudden we're not able to get on the counterattack. They keep getting the ball back. They keep pushing us back further and further. And then it ends up in a goal. So I I think that's that's an issue that a lot of people have with playing the counterattacking style of football. But I also agree that, I mean, listen, I've said this over and over and over again. The one thing that, 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 I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin does that no one else on our team can seem to do is, is hold up the ball. And so if we're going to play this style of football, like he is the key part of that style of football in terms of clearing the lines and then getting the ball up front and then getting it out to the wingers so that they can run down the wings and then he can find space in the middle of the pitch. So, um, you know, I, I think that's – we do miss that, um, but we will uh, – hopefully we'll see some of that as the – as, as the season progresses and we get him back. Um, anything else, uh, you know, on, on Benitez, on tactics, on the game, on the match? I mean, of course, Gallagher scores a wonder goal, which is, uh, you know, they got some of our own medicine from the, tart- from the Arsenal game um, last week. But um, anything else you want to add? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, when you see a team like Everton – you know, 14th place obviously is, is not where anyway, not, not where the players, you know, the coaching staff, the front office, the fans, it's not where anyone wants to be. And when a team is, is struggling this much and, and is really falling short of expectations that, I mean, you know, historically have been pretty high on, on a, on a team and the, on, you know, one of the, not one of the top teams, but you know, a top half of the table team, those kinds of expectations. I think, you know, when you lose games three, one to crystal palace, where, you know, presumably you're thinking, okay, this is at least a draw, if not the full three points. Mm-hmm. You tend to look even harder for people to blame. And I don't, I don't think that it's 
you know, one person's fault. I mean, the players have shown that, you know, mentally maybe the, they're not the strongest this season. I mean, Benitez's tactics, you know, it's always easy to kind of scapegoat the manager, um, you know, but looking at what he has at his disposal, it's, it's not, you know, it's not the best that, you know, it's not the best squad that we've seen, especially with all the injuries that have been hit, um, you know, kind of the, the kind of directing board, the transfer policy, obviously there was not a whole lot of money with which to work. So, you know, you look at that and, and I think regardless of where you want to place your blame, you can look at instances where, okay, maybe it's not fully this person's part, you know, just kind of, there are reasons to explain why the team is struggling. So I don't know. I look at the three, one defeat as disappointing for sure, but you know, it's, I can't, I can't place blame in just one single party. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we're in a serious, serious problem. And, and I think the one thing that people need to realize without getting into too much, because we've talked on it endlessly at this point on this podcast, I think what we need to realize is that unless it gets really, really, really bad, Benitez is going to be with us through the January transfer window, I would think. Because it sounds like, I mean, from what we, from what we understand, the, I mean, he's given all control to... Rafa and to, to just take that away and so quickly and, and not allow him, especially with the injuries that he's had and, and is still has at this point, I think um, we'll get into it again. I think there's seven first team or starters that are, are not going to be available um, for, for the game against Chelsea um, with all the things that have been surrounding it. I can't imagine that they sack him at this point. Um, so we just got to buckle up and uh, get ready for, Probably a tough December, but hopefully a better January in terms of spending some money and, and getting some players in that might actually make a difference. So we will see how that plays out. Um, that's it for Crystal Palace. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll move on to the Everton women's team. All right, we are back, and we're talking about the Everton women's team. I haven't talked about them in a little bit, but... Last time we talked, I remember saying that, you know, we, we, last time we talked, they had fired their manager, brought in a new manager. Um, we did mention that, you know, they had a good run of games coming up and hopefully that would, that would make all the difference. They seem to be in about the same spot in ninth place um, on 11 points from nine matches, a negative six goal differential. But since the last time we talked, I think they've only lost one game. And I, cause I believe we talked after the Man City. Um, lost the 5-1 Man City loss. I, they might have played the Leicester match before that. Um, and uh, But they, they beat, or excuse me, I think they lost to Brighton before that. It was the last time we talked. Um, and then they've tied Man U. They've beaten Leicester City. They've beaten uh, Durham in the FA uh, Women's Super League Cup. Uh, they've tied West Ham and then lost to Man United uh, in, in the, Super, in the uh, FA Women's Super League Cup group stage uh, match day five. So um, better, I guess, but I'm assuming not where they would expect to be. Tell us how everything has gone kind of over the past few weeks since new managers come in and, and um, since things have, have kind of shaken up at, um, over on the women's side. For sure. Um, you know, just going back to the Willie Kirk era, I, I mean, the, the team started off with two four zero losses uh, to city and Chelsea absolutely blown out. Definitely bounced back with three, one win against Birmingham and a three nil win against Reading. Um, you know, but then it was a three nil loss against Arsenal and a five, one dropping at the hands of city in the super league cup. So I mean, it was clear that a, a change needed to be made. And, you know, there was optimism. The first game that Jean-Luc Vassir, who of course was the, um, coach for Leon for several years and he won a champions league with them, you know, his first game was in the, in the league cup against Leicester, um, which is Leicester struggling this season. Um, the team is still yet to win a game in the WSL and they are, they've lost every game, you know, minus 20 goal differential. They're struggling to say the least. And they picked up a three, one win. Um, you know, it, it was kind of a, a match to, uses a bit of a litmus test to see, okay, how many of these players are actually going to be in Vassour's starting 11 on a weekly basis. So, and it's, 
it's remained kind of consistent. He's he's kind of played between seven, eight, and nine of the players he used in that first game moving forward. Um, you know, but any progress that was made seemed to kind of come crashing back down to earth with the one nil loss to to Brighton, um, which is having an incredible season, no doubt. But you know, the the team just they couldn't couldn't pull it out. So a one nil loss is an unfortunate result. You know, a one one tie with United United is not the team it was last year. They lost Tobin Heath. They lost uh, Kristen Press. They lost their manager, Casey Stoney. And there's still talent on the team for sure. But it's not, they're not as fearsome as they were last season. So a 1-1 one, one draw, you know, I would say that's a fair result. And then in the next game, you know, they played Leicester again, who a week and a half, two weeks before, they'd beaten 3-1 pretty convincingly. And then, you know... In the next in the league, it takes a Simone McGill goal in the 81st minute to break the deadlock against Leicester. So a win, yes, was it convincing? No. Um, and then the next week, you know, Tony Duggan scores in the 60th minute for a one-nil win against Durham, who is in the championship. And then a, you know you have a draw with West Ham, respectable team, but just defensively, it, the, the team didn't seemed very composed. The goal was just a, a cross, a, you know, a ball that was played across the face of goal and multiple defenders for Everton missed it. And it fell to, uh, you know, West Ham's right backs and had a win. And she just kind of tapped it in the back of the net. I mean, she was as surprised as anyone. They managed to salvage that game. And then, you know, a 2-0 loss to United today where, you know, two weeks ago they tied them. So I think that, you know, and a common trend in, in a lot of these games is that Everton are coming back, which is a positive sign, but they're also having to dig out of a hole that they've created. And I don't know how sustainable that is. So in other words, a lot of these ties could realistically be losses. Um, and like you say, you know, has anything really changed? Not, not really. I, I mean, nine games in still at 11 points, still have a, a negative goal differential, still struggling to find ways to score the, score the ball. Um, you know, and they're, I mean, directly ahead of them sit Reading, who they beat 3-0. Three, three West Ham is there, you know, and then you kind of have the, the top teams. And so ninth place for where this team sh- should be expectation-wise is a real letdown. And, I mean, Vassar definitely has his work cut out for him. I, I don't know if it's just – his style isn't vibing with the players yet. Um, I mean, it's only been seven games. It's, you know, it's it's unrealistic to expect instant results after seven games. But, I mean, talk about another Everton team that needs a turnaround. The, the women are are definitely struggling. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the, as we said last time, really, and, and again, the women's games are kind of spread out, so they've only played nine matches. Um, they're, they're significantly more spread out than, than the men. But... They've been struggling, but they still sit only about six points. They still sit only six points out of third behind Tottenham, who they play this weekend. Tottenham coming off, uh, they, they, all, they lost to West Ham, uh, narrowly beat Aston Villa, tied Arsenal, which is a very good tie considering the way Arsenal's been playing, um, and, and tied Man United over the last few matches. Um, you know, it's, it seems like it's there for the taking, but it seems like, you know, again, every time we talk, it's, um, you know, it, it's there, but they don't seem to want to take it. <laughs> um, what needs to change for you? Um, I know you listed a few things already, but, you know, are players not stepping up? Are there certain players who aren't performing as well as you would have expected them to perform? Is the team still meshing? You know, I know they had a bunch of, uh, you know, new additions. What's kind of been the, um, what needs to change? Who needs to step up for this team to kind of get back to the potential that they should be? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's just creativity in the midfield. Izzy Christensen is a quality player, without doubt. But, you know, this season, Everton have struggled to find a player who can pick passes to beat and break down opposition defenses. And that's not that doesn't solely rest on the midfield. A lot of it has to do with the players that are making the runs. I mean, Tony Duggan, who... I mean, it took her nine matches to score her first league goal. Um, 
this past weekend, you know, I mean, she's 30. She doesn't have the legs that she did when she first started with Everton. Um, I mean, Kenza Dolly is a flashy, feisty player, but I mean, she's hasn't created much this season. So I think for me, it's kind of the team has talent, but the players who are talented are out of position. And so a lot of, there's a lot of breakdown in the midfield and moving forward. I mean, they're relying on, you know, kind of 70th minute plus goals to salvage a draw. And so for me, it's just kind of a lack of creativity in the midfield, which is being hit with a lack of, of forward movement from, from the attacking unit. I think another, I don't want to put all the blame on, on a young player, but they signed Hannah Benison um, from Rosengard this summer. I mean, she's only 19, but there was a lot of expectation that she would kind of take the next step. And, and she's highly regarded as one of the top young players in Europe. And we've seen flashes of it. I mean, she's tricky with the ball at her feet. She can, she's a player who can pick passes when she gets her head up. She can run defenses. But the transition has just seemed kind of awkward. She's been relegated to more of a, a substitute role with with Everton and especially now that Willie Kirk is gone. Um, she came in, you know, in, in about the 60s. So she got about half an hour of, of work, but I would like to maybe see more of her. I, I think that she can be that creative impetus moving forward. But I think a lot of it starts with just a lack of creativity in the midfield, which really hurts Everton moving forward. Is it, um, I mean, again, I know there's a lot of new players that have been brought in and, and the creativity in the midfield has, like you said, has been, has been a problem, but has, you know, are, how do, uh, you know, Vassier's tactics fit with the players that he has? Is, is this a, a matter of not having the right players to fit in the right spots? Because of course they were brought in by a previous manager um, and, and even a previous, you know, the, I believe, the women's director of football or, or the women's, you know, one of the women's heads of football over at Everton, uh, of course, less left um, in what seems like a bit of a disgrace since, <laughs> since we last talked as well. Um, is it a matter of just not having the right players to play his system or is it just players aren't producing? Yeah. I mean, Vassar is, is a coach who loves to work in possession. Um, you know, we talked kind of about this with the men's team. He loves to have the ball. He loves playing with it. I think one thing you lose with Willie Kirk is just kind of an expansive brand of football. A lot of times last season, you know, yes, he Kirk prioritized possession, but, you know, the center backs and defenders, midfielders had license to, to send the ball forward to kind of push into the opposition's final third. Whereas Vasura, it's kind of, it's kind of slow. You know, you get it you stop, you look back, you play the ball behind and the momentum is gone and you've maybe gained five, 10 yards, which you immediately give back up with a back pass. So I think his brand of football works really well when you have, you know, a really hard nosed defense, when you have passing center backs. And then when you have a midfield that can work with, with the players up top um, to kind of send balls over, to find those give and go passes. And I just don't, think personnel wise Everton is there quite yet um you know last season I don't know if anyone's pointed this out but last season Megan Finnegan who's a center back um you know early 20s she played the most of every of any Everton player she started all 22 matches and you know looked to be kind of on the rise she had a she was just I mean she was a star she was a, a, a stalwart back there and this season, she's barely playing. You know, whether it was Kirk, whether it's Vassour, they just aren't giving her time. And it's a real shame because her distribution from the back, she led the team in, in long passes. And I think without her distribution, Everton's attack is really stagnant. And there's just no one to stretch the field and kind of keep opposition defensive honest. Because without those kinds of passes over the top, defenses can just sit in they don't have to worry about stuff coming over the top because they know it won't come so I think not only is that personnel I think there are some kind of choices tactical choices that have been made that limits Vasur's success with the type of of soccer he wants to play yeah absolutely makes sense I mean 
you know, it's, uh, I guess we're seeing a little bit here too with the men's team as well, but you know, just not having the right players in the right spots. And of course you're already bringing in so many players with the women's team and then trying to get them up to speed. And then all of a sudden when it seems like things might be getting up to speed, at least in terms of them understanding the system, uh, they get a new system that's going to be coming in and, and trying to understand that now. So, um, it seems like they're in a bit of a transition period. Um, and they don't, it's not, it's not going to get much easier coming up, at least over the next few matches. Uh, they have Tottenham this weekend, uh, Sunday at 9 a.m. Uh, who, again, Tottenham sits third. Aston Villa is the, um, is the first weekend in January, or second weekend in January, excuse me. Um, they sit a place below Everton, but basically the same amount of points. They have 10 points. And then they take on Chelsea. Um, who uh, is the other top team. It's them and Arsenal up near the top of the table. Uh, Chelsea currently sitting in second, four points behind Arsenal, and then they have West Ham again. So over the next four games, they play three of the top five teams in, in, in the league. Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, if, if things go well, of course, it could mean that, okay, if they win – the matches against Tottenham, Aston Villa, West Ham, and they lose the Chelsea match. That's three, that's six points against teams that are above you. Gives you the chance to move up in the table. But if it doesn't, then it's teams moving further away from you. Um, what do you, how do you see this playing out? How do you see the, the next few weeks playing out? And, and are Everton, do you think they have what it takes to get back on track right now? Or is it still going to take some time before uh, this team starts to perform at the level that they need to? to be up there with the elites? You know, I think, look, Tottenham has had an incredible start to the season. I don't think anyone expected them to be in the top three at the, when the season started. But that is, that is a match that Everton can absolutely tie, you know, and even maybe sneak a point. I think on paper, the rosters are, are both equally talented. So, Maybe, you know, you look at the, the score and you or the table and you say, okay, third versus ninth, that's kind of an easy win to pencil in for Tottenham. I think that game is, is going to be closer than people think it will. I think the Aston Villa game, that, that should be a win for Everton. Um, I mean, Villa isn't the strongest side in the league. And just with the players at Everton's disposal, that, that should be a win. So just right off the bat, I mean, you know, maybe you get some lucky bounces against Tottenham. You should get a win against Aston Villa. That's two nil, a two two zero, for for wins losses. The the Chelsea game is going to be difficult. I, I think that Chelsea just is still, you know, a, a class above. They're still a league above uh, where Everton is at the moment. Um, and then West Ham again. I think that that is a winnable game. So while on paper the schedule you see and you think okay they're going to go one and three, they realistically could go three and one. You know. So I, I think that there's room for optimism. You know, I, I want to keep trying to peddle the, the hope springs eternal outlook for the women's team. Cause I, I think that I, I, I think that there are a couple strong wins away from putting it together. And I think that this stretch can give them that. I think outside the Chelsea game, each, each match is, is winnable. So I'm cautiously optimistic <laughs> about, about the team's prospects in the next month. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, again, I, I feel like we say this, we, we said this last time and we'll say, I'll say it again. Um, it's, another wind, it's another window of games before we speak again that um, that's going to be a, kind of a, a season definer. If they can, they can turn things around and get three wins, like we, like we said, then hey, I mean, then you're looking at a significantly different perspective when you come to the, you know, after that they face, Reading, they face Aston Villa. That's two games that they should be able to, you know, muster out wins. Um, and then, of course, you have a difficult end of the schedule with with a couple easy ones in there. But um, at least the the things are looking up. Um, final thing is is, and the final thing I want to ask you is when when a team's in this in this position and when they're in this position, and it, it, is it helpful or more difficult to have this much time in between matches? I mean, you're playing two matches, uh, basically two matches a month at this point, you know, maybe three matches a month. Um, you know, if you take two matches, if you take out the cup competitions and whatnot, is it hard to stay 
you know, is it hard to get in a groove when you're only able to face, you know, you're facing the same people in, in, in training every single day and you're only able to face an opponent every you know week or two, not, not even every week, every two weeks at the best most times. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, the reason for those big gaps is international breaks. Um, but, you know, of course, not every Everton player is on their national team. So you have players who aren't training as rigorously. You're not getting the same level of competition as you would in practice or in league games. And especially for a team that has brought so many new players into the fold, those long gaps off really hurt the continuity and, and the chemistry building that this team really needs. Um, cause on paper it is talented. I mean, they have some of the top players on, on some big national teams, whether it's Ireland, whether it's Sweden, whether it's the English national team, you know, Denmark. And so missing that time together to mesh as a squad really hurts. And I mean, in every team has to deal with injuries. So I don't know how much that helps any one individual squad. So I think for Everton, it just kind of hurts the chemistry. And it takes away, it detracts from experience that players could be getting with club. Because, uh, again, not, every, not everyone is, is representing their country during these international windows. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll see. Good luck to the women's team, of course. We hope that they start, th- start turning things in a different direction. Um, they certainly have the talent to do so, it sounds like. So, um, it, again, if you want to watch their game this weekend, I don't know, is it on? Uh, going to be on TV? I know it's a, you know a better game, but I don't know if it's one of those TV games this week. Um, yeah, it, at the very least, it should be uh, streamed on on the FA Player, which is the the uh, the league streaming service, yeah. okay. and that's that's free. So, at the very least, it should be shown on that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you want to watch it, it'll at least be shown on that. It'll be Sunday, December nineteenth. It'll be nine a.m. over here in America, um, and I believe that's. 2 p.m. over in England. So, um, you know, if you want to catch that, I'm sure it'll be a good match and kind of give you a good idea as to what's going on over there as well. But let's take a quick break. um, And after the break, we will talk about the Chelsea match coming up. All right, we are talking about Chelsea because we have to, not because we want to at this point. <laughs> I'm not sure either of us really want to get into uh, the, the details of this one because it's pretty plain and simple. Everton, I believe, are missing seven first-team players, and I'm going to go back and check this. They're at least missing Seamus Coleman, Richarlison, Allen, Mina, that's so yeah let me just go through this right now I'm, I, I pulled it up here we've got Richarlison Townsend and Coleman who are all undergoing treatment injuries kind of getting scans or whatever figuring things out whatever it may be those three it seems will not be available for tomorrow I and I, I did not read into I did not read up on Rafa's comments on on any of them Dean is definitely not available for tomorrow because he was ill so he won't be available Mina's already injured. DCL's already injured. So that's six we're up to at this point. Um, and then Allen, who is injured. So that's seven. So we've got seven first-team players who are not available, or not even first-team players, seven starters who are not available um, with guys like Decore and Gomez and Delph and Damari Gray. Um who have had injuries recently and are coming back from injury or have, um, you know, been dealing with some stuff. So it's not looking great, but um, let's start here. If you had to predict a lineup, what would it look like? I mean, it's, it's almost impossible at this point to predict one, but what would it look like? How would you construct the team? What formation, how would you play this one? Yeah, I mean, I think just off the bat, I think you kind of – the injuries and just the, the quality that Chelsea has, I think you kind of scrap any hopes of going forward. Just ultra-defensive. I, I would not even be opposed to a, a five-back. Um, I mean, obviously, losing Coleman, that that hurts. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do, do you maybe – do you have to – I mean, that injury has, you know, forces you to bring in John Joe Kenny – I don't know. Do you have, do you ask, you know, Gene, Phil, you know, 
JPG to come in and, you know, against Chelsea and try to defend. I don't – for me, it's just it's just kind of – it has to be an ultra-defensive. It's got to be a let's try to salvage a point. Let's try to hold off Chelsea for the 90. Can we break on the counter? But, I mean, with the injuries piling up, I just don't see a way forward in the attack against against really quality Chelsea team. So, for me, it's just kind of defensive. You lean on your Godfreys. You lean on Keane. I mean, Holgate's going to be asked to do a lot. I mean, I don't know what the injuries could we even say, you know, see Gerard Branthwaite come in, you know, just can we stack the team with as many defensive players as possible to to try to hold out Chelsea for as long as they can. Yeah, I mean, there has been talk of John Joe Kenny, who has disappeared for a little bit and now seems to be um, you know, back in the good races. <laughs> back I well, back in whatever you call it because yeah. of injuries. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a start tomorrow. The five, the five in the back doesn't – I don't hate that idea. Um, I would maybe go with something like a 5-3-2 um, and, and, and put – you know, you're probably going to see Wobi at one of the wing backs. You'll see John Joe Kenny at the other wing back and then start the three healthy center backs that we have and, um, you know, in Holgate, Ben Godfrey, and Keane. Start Keane in the middle um, of those two and let the other two work on the outsides and then – um, have Branthwaite on the bench, Braith, yeah, Branthwaite on the bench, and hopefully, you know that uh, that could be a way that that we see it go, and then play Delph or JPG in the midfield with Decore and Gomez, um, and then play Damari off of off of Rondon up top. Um, I wouldn't hate it. Wouldn't hate it. I think if we go with a five in the back, I think the only thing you can do is go with three in the midfield, because four in the midfield will leave us too open, and then you know. It's not the Chelsea strikers that I'm even worried about hurting us because they've been virtually non-existent for, although now that I've said that and, and because that's happened, they will score about four goals in this game. But um, it, it's the midfield. The midfield's so dangerous with Mount and then, of course, the runners of, of Reese James and Alonso and Espiculeta and uh, Chilwell, whichever ones they go with. And then, of course, you have the marauding center back of Antonio Rudiger. So, you know... There's a lot of things to worry about in attack, and it's going to be very, very difficult. So we'll see, um, you know, especially with the lineup that we have. Um, what do Everton, I mean, you know, talked about it a little bit, but what do Everton need to do? Is there any way that they can present or create any sort of attack in this one uh, or any sort of, you know, going forward that could lead to a goal in any sense? For me, it's it's through set pieces. You know, can can you get an outlet pass? Can you try to win a corner? Can you work, you know, something on you know, kind of at, on top of the eighteen? Can you maybe get lucky enough to get a penalty? I think for me, I don't see the current this current rendition of Everton breaking down Chelsea uh, in open play. So I think for me, it has to come through a set piece, and you know, maybe get a couple lucky bounces. Something falls, you know, squirts out, and you have another Rondon type goal. Um, just kind of you know, maybe have a brilliant delivery, you know, I think maybe we get two, you know, one or two chances to score, um, whether that be with, you know, kind of a, a cross or a set piece, but I think those are really the ways the, you know, Everton's going to achieve anything in, in the attack. Yeah, I, it's, it's not going to be pretty. That's all I'm going to say. It's not going to be a pretty, it's not going to be a pretty game. We're going to be in our own half majority of the time would be my guess. And those center backs step up pretty high. So I would imagine they step up into our half. So I'd imagine that there's going to be, you know, 21 players in our half of the field for majority of the game. We're not going to get a lot of possession. Uh, the game is taking place at Stanford bridge. And that isn't a recipe for success for us in recent, in recent memory. Um, you know, obviously the, the, you know, Anfield curse was broken last season, but a lot of people looked at that one as, as a terrible one. This one is even worse against Chelsea. Um, Chelsea are currently unbeaten in their last 26 Premier League home games against Everton. And of course, this is only Premier League uh, home games. This doesn't count the FA Cup. So, you know, of course, the, um, maybe there were more matches uh, against Liverpool in FA Cup that we lost in Anfield. But this dates back all the way to 1994. Um, November 1994, Everton beat Chelsea 1-0. Um, that is um, a significant run of unbeaten games. And if they avoid defeat in this one, 
it would equal their longest ever unbeaten home run against an opponent in their, in their league history. It was 27 versus Spurs in 19, between 1990 and 2016. Um, I guess the good thing is that Everton have won three of their last five Premier League games against Chelsea, as many as they had in their previous 15 against them. However, of course, all of them were at Goodison Park. Um, Everton are winless in their last 12 competitive matches against reigning European champions. Um, I'm just telling you guys all this to be prepared at this point. Um, They lost both such meetings against Chelsea the last time the Blues were champions of Europe in 2012-2013. Um, of all the teams to play more than one Premier League game on Thursdays, Chelsea have the best win rate on Thursdays. Um, and after losing four of their first five Thursday games in the Premier League between 1996 to 2015, Everton are unbeaten in their five played on this day in the competition since then. So um, I guess um, that's a good thing. Not really much to go into here, though, Ian. There's not really much to break down here. What you're thinking right now, what everybody who's listening to this podcast is thinking is exactly what's going to happen. This is going to be a very difficult match. It's, I mean, if Everton come out on the front foot, I'll be surprised. Um, I'd like to see five in the back probably. I just think four in the back, you're going to get caught. And those center backs are going to get caught with, and you're going to be playing somebody out of position against two very, very talented wing backs, whoever starts. Um, so, you know, I would imagine, I mean, in my head, I, I don't know if you have a prediction that you want to give, but I would say 4-1 Chelsea with the injuries we have and, 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 and everything that's going on. I would imagine that's probably what it's going to be. What, what's your opinion on this one? Yeah, I was also going to go three-goal split, three-goal margin. I'm going to say 3-0 Chelsea. Um, I just, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll be able to put one past them. I just, I just think that you know, as, as a unit, the, the midfield and the defense and, you know, with, with Mendy and Ned, I just, I just think defensively they're too good. So yeah. I'm going three nil. Is it, am I, you know, am I being, you know, a little too Debbie Downer? Is this, is it, is it hard to talk about this game really anymore with the injuries that we have? Is there really anything else that I missed that, that maybe we should be talking about? I think you said it all. I think this is one of those, you bet low, set the expectation bar <laughs> way down and, you know, hope to be pleasantly surprised um, because to have any expectations other than that would, would kind of be foolish. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the mental mistakes and the mental, you know, it, it just seems like, you know, I, that's the problem with, I think getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back is that you make that mental mistake because you want to get out. And I feel like we're going to see a Godfrey running free somewhere out of the center back position to go after a ball he shouldn't be going after or a Gomez giving up the ball, trying to get around a defender instead of making the easy pass. It just seems like one of those days where we're going to see that happening. So we shall see. Um, Don't read too much into this. That's what I'll say. Because – there's not many teams with the injuries that we have that are going to win this match. So, um, you know, don't read too much into it. Brace yourself. Have a little bit of alcohol if you can. I know it's a midday match here in America, but if you can have some alcohol, I would recommend it probably. Um, something to calm the pain. Um, but that's all we have for you here today. Uh, we'll be back um, to talk about the um, – I'm not sure if we're going to actually get the Leicester match um before but we might be able to get a podcast up about the Leicester match these these things come so quick that it's it's so hard and and it's hard even to predict these matches nowadays because of COVID and what's been coming up now it seems like matches are getting postponed so we'll see I mean who knows what happens tomorrow today Brentford and Watford got called off two and a half hours beforehand could be a similar situation with us hopefully not but you know of course we're we're gonna get beat bad but of course the most important thing is that everybody on the pitches is healthy and ready to go. So we'll see how all that plays out, Ian. As always, thank you for joining me. I apologize you had to draw the short straw with the Chelsea match, but thanks for joining me. Hey, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. Always, always a fun time. Thanks for having me, Gino. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great having you on and, and getting to, to hear a little bit more about the women's team because that's 
just as important. You know, we want to know how they're doing and, and how things are going over there. And again, as I mentioned multiple times in the podcast, we will continue having Ian on um, at least once a month to talk about the women's team. If there's another pressing issue, an FA Cup final, uh, hopefully, <laughs> then we will obviously bring him on more than that. But, um, but that is it from us. Thank you for following. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for, for just um, being with us even through this difficult time. Uh, we're trying to do the best we can over here to give you the best analysis possible. But with everything going on, it's, it's, it's hard to stay upbeat. But I appreciate you guys for taking the time and, and listening to what we got going on over here. Um, make sure to keep downloading. Make sure to keep listening. We appreciate all you do. And we'll talk to you guys next time.